Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Welcome, Lake Point family. Hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to Matthew chapter five. That's where we're gonna be today. And man, just really excited about where we're going today. Uh, we're in the last week of a series that we're just calling, title of the series is just Theology. okay? Theology. and what we're doing during the series is we're taking all the words that like the Bible always uses, but like we never seem to understand. And we're taking each one of these words, these three words, and not just breaking down like what it means, but like why it matters and like what it actually does in our hearts. And uh, man, today's message is a little heavier than usual. And so I like to start with something funny. So let me kind of lead into it like this. And by the way, Annie over here, you can't be offended when I tell this joke. Um, By the way, I've got, uh, my wife's a redhead. And so I've made like a few redhead comments. The redheads in our church have been asking, hey, when are you gonna get everybody else? And because I believe in equality, I'm gonna do that right now, okay? Uh, so I heard this story about a, a blind man who was waiting for a table at a restaurant. And while he was waiting, he leaned over to the person next to him and he just said, uh, hey, would you like to hear a blonde joke? And immediately he heard this indignant voice just fire right back and, and a woman said, sir, I just want you to know that uh, I'm 5'11 and I'm a CrossFit champion. The woman sitting next to me, she is 6'1 and she's a professional power lifter. And the woman sitting sit next to her, she's 6'3 and she's blonde and she is a professional MMA fighter. And then she said, sir, are you sure that you wanna tell that joke? And the guy thought for a second and he said, you know, no, I don't have to explain it three times. <laughs> now listen, now Annie, you can't be offended when I tell that, that's good. Listen, some of you at home, you're like, that's not funny. Listen, you're gonna hate our church because we take Jesus really seriously and ourselves not seriously at all, amen? Yeah. Amen, all right. Well, here's where we are today. We are, uh, I just wanna get right into the word that we're looking at. It's a word that a lot of times we gotta explain over and over and over uh, because the Bible uses it over and over and over. So let me just show you one of them. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4. Just don't, don't turn there. I just wanna show you this one. It just says this. The Bible says, for this is the will of God. And here's our word, your sanctification. Now, if you're like me, you're like, man, you see a word like that and you're like, I don't know what in a world that means. So let me just start explaining what it is and I can kind of break it down. It's really easy linguistically for you to kind of see that word as two words. It comes, the beginning, sanct, comes from a Latin word, sanctus, that just means holy. Like we say sanctuary, that's a holy place. Sanctus means holy, so sanct. And then the back part of it, it's like that, uh, that suffix, ification. That in English, it just means the process of becoming. So like, let's just be really straightforward. If we wanna know what the Bible's talking about when it says your sanctification, here's all that is. That's the process 
of you and me becoming holy. That's all that means, you and me becoming holy. Let me say it like this. The minute that you were saved, the Bible says that very second, you were saved forever from sin's penalty. But listen, watch this. There's a lifelong process of you and me being saved from sin's power over our lives. And that process, what the Bible calls it, it calls it sanctification. In fact, let me explain it one other way and then we'll kind of dive into the passage we're getting into. Um, You can really think about sanctification in terms of this gap that all of us experience in our lives, this gap. Everyone who wants to follow Christ, like we, we experience this gap, it's a very felt gap. We see, on the one hand, like who we need to be in order to fulfill the calling that God has placed in our lives. But then we see like who we are and there's a gap. Or you could kind of think of it this way, like there's a gap between who I am now and who I wanna be. Or the Bible will talk about it like this, like like there's a gap between my identity who God has declared me to be in Christ, that I am the perfect righteousness of Christ. I am beloved, I am holy, I am a saint in him. I'm clean. There's a gap between my identity, but then watch this, and my activity, what I actually do. And all of us, like we experience this gap between who we are, who we wanna be, who we are, and who we're gonna be in Christ. We experience that gap. Now watch this, here's what sanctification is. Sanctification is the lifelong process of God working with us to close that gap. And listen, that's gonna happen in your life. Now, what I wanna do today is I wanna get in and talk about like how that actually happens. So this is where I want you in Matthew 5. And and listen, before I read the passage, um, I just need y'all to know this. I need you guys here to know this too. Um, As a a preacher, I feel like there's two types of sermons. Um, Some sermons are, are come and live sermons. Um, They are incredibly heartwarming. They're messages about the grace of God and his power in our lives. And uh, those are the sermons that people clap the whole time and y'all share them a thousand times on Facebook, okay? So there's, there's come and live sermons. But there's also go and die sermons. And those are the sermons that are challenging. That's where we get into the hard meat of what Jesus said it actually looked like to follow him. And I just need you to know at the beginning, this is a go and die sermon. But this is a message that can change your life. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, let's pick up, pick up with me in Matthew 5. And we're gonna take, it's almost like a case study of the issue of lust. We're not talking about lust today, we're talking about sanctification. But Jesus uses lust as a case study of how sanctification happens in our lives, okay? Here's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. Now, this is really important, and I'm coming back to it, so bookmark it in your Bibles. Already done that in his heart. So, so, so fix this word in your mind, and all you hear, I want you to say out loud. It says, in his heart. So you tell me, where is the location of the sin in our lives? Where, where is it? It's our heart. That's right. I, you got that at home, I'm sure. Now, fix that in your head. Now, watch what he says. If your right eye causes you to, sin, to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's really strong language. I'm coming back to that. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your your whole body to go into hell. Now listen, when you read a passage like that, you may be going, man, like uh, Josh, that's really intense language. So let me start with something that we just all need to acknowledge. And I, I just wanna tell you what the Bible says, okay? Number one, you need to understand 
This passage shows us that sanctification is necessary. It's necessary. Now, uh, some of you guys, when uh, I was reading that passage and it talked about, man, eliminate the sin in your life, or you could be thrown, quote, thrown into hell. Uh, if you're listening, you may have had an immediate objection. You may, you may have gone, now, wait a second, Josh. I thought that we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from our works. So doesn't that mean that my salvation doesn't have anything to do with my works? Or you may have asked this question. If I'm saved, doesn't that mean that I can just live however I want? Isn't that what that means? Well, Christians for centuries, really since the Bible was written, um, have always struggled to understand the relationship between salvation and works. Salvation works. So, so let me do my very best to help you understand really quick the, the relationship between those two things. When I was in college, my senior year, in order to, uh, to save money, um, I lived in a two-bedroom apartment with six other college guys. Uh, that was the, that's right, they groaned in this room for a reason because that was the single most disgusting experience of my entire life. Uh, in an entire, is, there is no hyperbole here, in an entire semester, I never saw one of us clean anything. And we rarely did the dishes. By rarely, I mean never. That's what I mean. Uh, when you walked into the kitchen, um, it was just full of plates covered with decaying food. There was radioactive waste piling up in the sink. Um, every single day, there was at least one guy who would eat his cereal and le then leave his bowl of old cereal milk on the table. And it would just sit there for sometimes days, sometimes weeks. Uh, we had actually one guy uh, in our dorm room that th this was really his reasoning. He reasoned that if you added in gas and time, it was actually cheaper just to buy new underwear when he ran out of clean underwear than to actually wash his underwear, sweaty from intramural sports uh, at the laundromat downtown. And so literally in our room, we just had a closet of, uh, full of this ever-growing pile of sweaty intramural college dude underwear the entire semester. Um, when it came to the, uh, the bathroom, <laughs> I'm not gonna talk about the bathroom. Um, I am just gonna say this. If you had been living in Old Testament times, uh, going to the bathroom would have defiled you and your children and your children's children to the third and fourth generation. I just wanna say it that way. And so what happened was when you walked into this apartment, you were greeted by this concoction of odors that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man. That was just the nature of being in, in that apartment. But here was our saving grace. Two times a semester, one of the guy's moms would travel in town and she would walk in like decked out, like rubber gloves, face mat, like everything. And she'd walk in with like Ajax and a blowtorch. And she would just, she would absolutely not stop until the place smelled like lemons and bleach, like whatever it took. That was the infallible indicator of that woman's presence in our apartment. In fact, if, if I were to have walked into that apartment and been greeted by the normal concoction of aromas, um, and then somebody told me, hey, his mom was here this week, I would have said, you're lying. There is absolutely no way that she could have been here because if she had been here, then this place would smell different. Now listen, I, what I need you to know is that that's what the Bible concludes about the presence of Jesus in your life. That when Jesus says, if you're unwilling to eliminate the sin in your life, your destination is hell, what he means is that there is absolutely no way that Jesus has entered into your heart if your life stays just as dirty as it always has been. 
Guys, understand it this way. This is really important. Cleaning up our lives does not cause us to be saved. We're saved by faith alone, apart from anything that we have ever done or anything that we ever will do. But being saved will inevitably result in God beginning to clean up our lives. That will always happen. In fact, the Bible says it like this in the book of 1 John. I just want you to see it really clearly. John says this, he says, we know that we have come to know him if we, how, watch this, if we keep his commands. That's how we know. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But, watch this, but if anybody obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know. This is the bottom line. You want the bottom line? Here it is. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's right there. Now listen, as I was preparing for this message, let me just be really honest. That lays a heavy burden on me and here's why that matters a whole lot. A few years ago, there was a study done of people who, not, not just kind of everybody in the world that says they're a Christian. It, this study was done of people who like could articulate the gospel, had been baptized, raised their hand, prayed a prayer, walked an aisle. And it studied uh, their behaviors. And what it showed was that there was not much difference between them and the rest of the world uh, that they experienced. And so here's what this showed. It asked them to identify their activities over the last 30 days. And what it showed was that there was basically no difference. In other words, they were just as likely as the rest of the world to bet or to gamble, to visit pornographic websites, to steal, to consult a medium or a psychic, to get drunk, to use illegal drugs or take prescription medicines not prescribed to them, to lie, to have intentionally done something to get back at someone within the last 30 days. Now listen, can I just say something? Man, listen, when I say this, I know it's not gonna be popular, but here's what I'm trusting. I'm trusting you want a pastor who's gonna tell you what the Bible says, not one who's just gonna tell you what you wanna hear. So so let me just tell you something that's very straightforward and that, that you may not like. Guys, listen, if you won't obey his commands, it might be because you've never made him your commander. Now that's probably why. Now listen, here's why I know. I know some of you guys are like, how dare you, man? How, you know, whatever you're showing me, you're like, only God can judge me tattoo. Like you're, you're already there. So let's do that. Like, I just wanna do that. Let's do that. Let's let God do that. Don't listen to me. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. Like in just two chapters from what we're reading right now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote it for you. You don't have to turn. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So man, let me just tell you this. Like as a pastor, like here's my fear. My fear is that somebody that attends Lake Point Church or that hangs out with us Lake Point Church online like every week, that someday there's gonna be this day where you're standing before the great white throne of judgment and you're in line and you're waiting. And on your way up, what you're thinking is like, man, I'm in. <laughs> like, I know I'm in. Like, I'm all good, man. Like, I came you know, to services at least 1.7 times a month. I was in a life group. You know, I, I went on a mission trip one time. Pastor Steve talked me into giving the gift of a lifetime five different Novembers. Like, it was awesome, man. Like, listen, well, I did all that stuff. I know I'm in. And then you get to the front and you're in the surprise crowd. That's one of my greatest fears as a pastor. And that's why I'm telling you this right now. And listen to what Jesus said about who's in and who's out. He said that some of the people who are surprised that thought they'd be in, they'd say this, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. <laughs> it seems really straight. Like if you're like me, I read that list and I'm like, man, 
that's a pretty good resume, you know? Like, you know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, like, anybody ever cast out a demon? The closest I ever got was I sent a middle schooler home from camp one time, but I've never <laughs> cast out a demon. <laughs> that's, that's the closest I've ever gotten. And I'll shoot you really straight, like, man, if you and me went on a mission trip together, and we were somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa, and we walk into a room, and there's some little girl, and her head's spinning around, she's spitting pea soup on the scene, that kind of thing. What I'd do is I'd be like, whoa, and if you just said, hey, Josh, like, hang out, I got this. And you just step forward and shazam, you know, whatever it is. And he, you just exercise the demon on the spot. What I would do is I'd be like, that brother's in. Like, ain't no way he's out. That guy is definitely, definitely in. But this passage, some people will have done all those things and they'll be surprised. Here's my job to make sure that no one in the surprise category is a lake pointer. That's my job. So listen, here's who gets in, Matthew 7. Jesus is gonna tell us, he's gonna tell us exactly who gets in. Here's who gets in. The one who does the will of my Father. And do you remember what we read the will of God is? Your sanctification. <laughs> you becoming like Jesus in your life and getting freed from all the stuff that enslaves you. Now, now here's the question, man. The, the question's like, okay, man, like that, that's a big deal. So how does that actually happen? Well, Jesus talks about this, if you notice this, in verse 29 and 30, those are like the real intense verses. And here's what Jesus says. He just said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. And then he says the same thing, like rather lose one part than lose your entire soul for eternity. Now, listen, if you're anything like me, you may read a verse like that and you may go, like, slow down, Scooter. <laughs> this seems real extreme. Like, I don't quite understand. Like, calm down, Jesus. Let's just be a little more reasonable. Well, what I wanna do is help you understand Jesus is actually being extremely reasonable here. But here's what's happening. The severity of our response needs to match the severity of the problem. That's the logic of this passage. The severity of our response needs to match the severity of the problem. You know, if you were to go to the doctor, let's say you kind of noticed that you had like a, a little bump on your arm and you thought it was chicken pox and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey man, we're gonna have to amputate your arm and throw it away. You would think, what you'd think is, hey, slow down, Scooter. Like, hey man, that seems extreme. Like, calm down, let's be reasonable. Are you crazy? That's what you think. But imagine this, what if you notice there's a, a, a bump on your arm and then you go to that same doctor and he takes a biopsy and that biopsy comes back and he sits you down and he says, hey man, bad news, that bump is incurable cancer. Do you know what you would ask that doctor? You would ask him, is there any way that we can just cut it off and throw it away? And do you know why you'd ask that? Because you understand that the severity of the response needs to match the severity of the problem. That's what Jesus is doing right here. He's saying, we've gotta take an extreme measure because sin in our lives is an extreme threat. Let me just explain something. The reason this passage doesn't make sense to most of us is because usually we think of sin more like a nuisance than like it is a mortal threat. But, but watch this. The Bible does not say that the devil prowls around like an annoying house cat. The Bible says that the devil prowls around like a, quote, roaring lion. Roaring lion. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you ever thought about that. Um, a couple, uh, couple months ago, everybody was like talking about this show 
And so Jan and I tried an episode of a, by the way, don't cheer for this here, it just helped me out. Uh, we tried a sh uh, uh, an episode of the Netflix show, Tiger King. Now, before I, I say this, I just wanna say, I really, really strongly do not recommend the show. It's disgusting. But in the one part of the one episode that we watched, like one of the first things you see is this girl had been trying to, that had worked at this zoo for years, had been trying to feed one of the tigers in the zoo through a cage, through the bars of a cage. And one of the first things you see is this tiger just runs up to this girl, clamps down on her arm and rips her arm off of her body. And, and bro, like on this thing, like you're seeing the whole thing. It's like her here, arm here, tiger here. Like you're seeing everything. And then they cut to all these clips of these people who worked at the zoo and all of them were saying the same thing. They were all like, man, I, we just don't understand. Like, man, we've been feeding this, you know, little fluffy forever. We've been petting her and taking care of her. We cuddle with that tiger. You know, we wash her, we bathe her, we cleanse her. We do all this stuff. We, and they just kept saying like, we just don't understand where this came from. I'm watching, I'm like, well, I do. It's a dang tiger. That's what the tigers do. Tiger's nature is to kill things. That's literally what tigers do. And listen, man, some of us, like we watch what happens with sin in people's lives and our lives. And we'll, like, it'll stay calm. It might seem like it's staying tame for a week, a month, a year, maybe a couple decades. And then whenever like something ravaging happens in our life, we're like, man, I just don't understand where this came from. Well, listen, I, I understand where it came from because the Bible says that the devil prowls about like a roaring lion. He is an apex predator and he's the father of all sin. And what he wants more than anything else in your life is to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. He's coming after your life. He's coming after your family. He's coming after your children. And more than anything else, what he's coming after, he wants more than any of those other things. He wants to come after and ravage your faith. That's what he wants more than anything else in this whole world is to end that. And what we think, we think a lot of times is like sin is gonna be like, like just a little, a little house pet. Like, man, I'm just gonna keep it in this compartmentalized part of my life and I'm just trusting it's not gonna get bigger and take over in my life. And guys, I just, I just need you to tell you, I've seen too many times, that's just not how it works. <laughs> man, um, a few years ago, I almost lost one of the people I love more than anybody else in my entire life. I walked into a hospital room and they had a breathing tube down their neck, they were fighting for their life. Here's that person's story. Man, when they were in sixth grade, they tried a cigarette under a trampoline at my house. And they got a little older, got to high school, and like, man, tried alcohol like a, little, a few years before it was legal. Alcohol turned it into alcoholism, and then it was like, man, I need to try something else. Had their first marijuana, you know, in high school, that kind of thing. Then marijuana turned to heroin. Heroin turned to painkillers and opioids. Eventually, they were spending about $60,000 a year on painkillers, trying to feed that addiction. And it eventually ended with me visiting that guy in a hospital with a breathing tube down his throat. He could have lost his life. It just didn't stay where it was supposed to stay. Man, I, I could give a name for this next one, but man, honestly, like I've known too many people where this is the story. Like I can't give one name, I could, I, could, I could probably give dozens. But for some of you, man, like here's your story. It's like, man, you might have this issue with pornography in your life. And right now you're like, man, it just doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. It's just some images, some images every now and then. You know, not, not even all the time, just every now and then. Well, let me just tell you how it's gonna work. Like it's gonna be a couple images and then it's gonna be many images and then images won't be enough. Images are gonna turn into videos. And eventually you're gonna need something involving a real person. So it's gonna be involving a real person online. And then that's not gonna be enough. It's gonna be something involving a real person in real life. And you know how that story ends? It ends with some guy you've never met tucking your kids in bed at night. That's where it ends. Man, uh, for some of us, man, it's not just lust, it's lies. Not just lust, it's lies. Two friends of mine, two close friends of mine, 
killed themselves this year. And you know, part of why, part of why is because they were abused as children. And that left them with this deep sense of shame, this lie straight from the pit of hell that you're defective, you're unacceptable, you're damaged beyond repair. And watch how this worked in their life. It started with this tiny little implanted lie when they were a kid. And it's ending with their kids growing up without a dad. Guys, an extreme threat requires an extreme response. So, so let me just ask you this, man. Like all of us, we need to ask this question. What is the radical amputation that needs to happen in your life right now? What is it? Man, maybe it's a relationship with a person or a group of people that's influencing you away from everything that has to do with the things of God. And you need to cut that off. Man, some of you like right now, like right now, you're dating somebody that opposes everything of the Lord in your life. And you need to like text that person like right now or call that person right now and end the relationship. And I'm for real, like, like right now you need to do that. Man, some of you, it's like, man, it's a drink you need to stop enjoying in the evening. I don't know what it is. What I do know is that probably for all of us, there's some area of our life that because God wants us to have life and joy and freedom and eternal life, there is some area of our life this time, it's time for a radical amputation. Man, delete the app, throw your phone into the lake, quit the job, go to counseling. Do whatever it takes to have a response that matches the severity of the problem. And here's what I want you to know, man. What I could do in this message on sanctification, just how we get transformed into the glorious, loving, joyful image of Jesus is it doesn't just take the elimination of bad habits, it takes the replacement of holy and good habits. It takes that. Now, here's what I want you to know. I, I could spend the entire message on that, but here's what I know. We've got an entire class here at Lake Point whose job is to teach you the habits of a growing disciple, to help you be transformed into the image of Jesus over the next years and decades of your life. We call it our next steps class. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking everybody that is seeing this gap need for growth in sanctification, maybe the most holy thing, the most godly thing you could do right now is just to text the word next to the number 20411. And a pastor will reach out to you. We'll get you plugged into that class like as soon as we probably incept, as soon as we possibly can to help you get those habits into your life so that you can begin to grow into the image of Jesus and get free from all the stuff that enslaves you. Now, now listen, here's what I also know. What I know from this passage is that all that's awesome, you know? Severity of uh, response to matches the severity of the problem. No, that's awesome. But what Jesus is saying in this passage right here is if that's all you ever do, if all you ever do is try to deal with things at like the hands and the eyes level, I just need you, you're never gonna become like Jesus and you're never gonna get freedom from the issues that enslave you. Um, this is like my favorite part of this passage. So buckle up, the ride's worth it. Uh, did you notice that in this passage, Jesus said at the very beginning, he told us the, lo the location, the body part, as it were, of us that causes us to sin. He said, man, if you look with lustful intent at somebody, you've already sinned, quote, in your heart. And then he goes on and he's like, man, cut, you know, gouge out the eye, cut off the hand. And honestly, most people who read this passage miss what Jesus is actually saying. So, so let, me, let me help you out really quick, okay? Uh, imagine a person who was inflamed with lust, and they were so sick of being controlled by their sin and they wanted freedom to just follow after God with their whole heart that they literally got to the spot where they were like, I'm gonna cut off any part of me that causes me to sin. What is the part of me that's causing me to sin? I'm gonna cut it off. 
And so imagine what they do is they do, they lay their hands on a woman that's not their wife and they go home and they cut off their hand. And then they leave the house and they, they look at somebody with lustful intent. And they think, man, my eye caused me to sin. And so they gouge out their eye. But then they keep walking and they walk to the wrong place to put themselves in a tempting situation. And they're like, oh man, my feet caused me to sin. So they cut off their feet. And then they find themselves wheeled somewhere to hear a sinful, wicked, defiling conversation. And they go, oh man, my ear caused me to sin. And so they cut off their ears. And eventually they just keep cutting off body parts and cutting off body parts and cutting off body parts until in their exasperation, finally they go, man, I just can't seem to cut off the part of me that causes me to sin. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is saying, hey, for you to do that, you're gonna have to cut out your heart because every sin you've ever committed, it came straight from your heart. And what Jesus is saying in this passage, he's saying, I can do that for you. I can reach inside your chest and I can take out the old heart of stone and I can give you a new heart of flesh. I can put my spirit within you that causes your dry bones to live. You don't have to do the things you used to do anymore because in Christ, you're not the person you used to be. You can actually be free. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, man, what you don't need, you don't just need behavior modification. He's saying, you need heart transformation. And he's saying, man, I can do that for you. Okay, now let me, let me kind of explain how this works because I actually want this to happen in your lives. God does not just want our eyes or our hands to obey the rules. He wants our heart to love a person. And anything less than that is just not pleasing to him. That's what this passage is saying. So uh, let me give an example of this. Um, and, and let me like, I don't do this very often. I'm gonna do it right here. Let me self brag. I absolutely crushed it on Jana's birthday this year. Like I, I dominated. It was the best, I dunked all over this birthday, man. Jana turned 28 again this year for, a, you know, the month. And, uh, and what I did was, you know, I was like, hey, Jana's our favorite person as a family. And so we just decided we're gonna, it's a day of favorites. You've been our favorite. We're gonna give you all your favorites. And so like, as soon as she woke up, you know, I took the kids for the first half of the day and gave her her favorite thing, just time alone with her Bible, totally uninterrupted cup of coffee. And then like when I got home, I brought her her favorite drink. It was a London Fog, perfectly mixed. That's her favorite drink. And then later in the day, I had actually, uh, there's a, a little bakery downtown I'd gone to and I had actually gotten her her favorite snack, an almond croissant that tastes like it's from Paris. That's her favorite deal. And then for dinner, we, I took her out to her favorite place, Rise downtown. If you're looking for gift certificate suggestions, I need them, it's expensive, that's it, man. So we took her to Rise. And then later in the evening, we watched Jana's favorite movie, Pride and Prejudice. And I didn't even open my computer or fall asleep. I watched the whole thing, actually listened to the whole thing, watched the whole thing. And then I topped it all off at the end of the day, I had reached out to some of Jana's favorite people and I'd asked them to record messages, videos to her, telling her what she had meant to them in her life. And so listen, like the whole day, it was this amazing crescendo. And by the time she was finished, like watching all those videos, she was like just boohoo and blubbery mess, like just a puddle of tears, you know, on her bed. And I was like, yes, I did it, yes. Now, I want you to imagine this, okay? Imagine if right after Jana finished watching all those videos and she's a blubbering mess, imagine that Jana just, you know, batted her little eyelashes and she said, Josh, tell me why you did all this. And I want you to imagine that I, I, I leaned in and I just pulled her close and I looked right into her eyes and then I whispered, 
because if I didn't, you would be mad at me and I didn't wanna have to deal with the hassle of your emotions all day. Imagine that. Would Jana be pleased with that at all? Of course not. Of course not. Why? Well, listen, God doesn't just want compliance to a set of rules. He's not pleased with religious people doing religious things out of mechanical duty or fear. What he wants is a relationship of love with you at the heart level. And when your heart is captured by love for him, your hands automatically move in obedience to him. That naturally happens. Nobody anywhere has to command me with a rule to swim with Eliana or to tickle Felicity or to kiss the cheeks of my infant son, Hudson. Nobody has to command me to do any of those things. Do you know why? Because when you're in love with somebody, you just naturally obey all the rules. And if your heart is full of love for God, you'll find yourself obeying him. That's why Jesus said you could summarize all the rules in the entire Bible with one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because why did he say that? Because if you get that one command right, you'll naturally obey all the other rules. Listen, some of you right now, here's why I know, man. I know some of you like, maybe you just became a Christian and you're looking around and you're like, man, this thing, Christianity, I don't think I can do this because Christianity just seems so hard and so complicated. Here's what I'd say. Stop thinking about all this stuff. Take a moment in your life and literally just stop thinking about all the rules and just fall in love with Jesus. Just fall in love with Jesus. And what you're gonna find is that that's gonna take care of everything else on its own. Listen, here's how this works. How we get a love for God in our hearts, here's how it works. The Bible just says it really clear. We love God because he first loved us. It's seeing the love of God that produces in us a love for God. You know, like, I wanna land a plane here. What I know is some of you guys, like you've been listening to this entire message. You know, I told you at the beginning, it's a heavy message. And some of you guys, my fear is what you've been feeling this entire message is condemnation. Man, condemnation, that, that's a builder's term that means unfit for use. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to get in your ear and say, because you're not doing all these things, because you're not making the progress you should, because, because, because you are unfit for use. You have been cast off by God. You are broken beyond repair. But listen, guys, the Holy Spirit does not give us condemnation. He gives us conviction. Conviction is this loving voice. It's a, it's a voice of love and encouragement in our lives that says, man, I love you. Man, let me help you. You don't have to die a slave. There's a power that I can give you that can set you free from all these things that can enslave you. That's what the spirit wants to do. And what he wants to do, here's how he does that. He does that by pouring out the love of God into our hearts. Man, when you read this, I lied earlier. Actually, what I'm about to say is my favorite part of this passage, okay? When you read this passage, you may go, man, when I read this passage, God honestly doesn't seem super loving. He seems super demanding. And what I'd say is, man, you don't understand what, what, what this passage is pointing to. You will understand the love of God when you understand. Read this and understand that God obeyed his own sermon. Um, did you know that there was a time where God himself performed his own radical amputation? How? You might say, how? You might be going, what do you mean, Josh? You know, God, obviously God is holy. He didn't have any sin. Jesus knew no sin. And you're right. Jesus didn't know any of his sin, but he knew all of yours. At the cross, what happened? 
is God loaded into Jesus every sin you have ever committed, every filthy thing you have ever done, every wicked, hateful, shameful thing that will ever come out of your heart, your hands, your eyes, or your mouth. He loaded all that onto his son, Jesus, at the cross. And then he looked down at his own son and he said, amputate him, cut him off, gouge him out. And in that moment, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, why? So that in him, you and me might become the righteousness of God. He did that for you and he did it for me. And when you understand the depth of God's love for you, that'll begin to produce a depth of love for God in you. And you're gonna notice that you are just gradually, moment by moment, being sanctified and set free. And I wanna pray that that'll actually begin to happen in your life in a powerful way. So will you pray with me wherever you are? And Father, thank you so much that you both, you don't just make demands of us, you meet those very same demands by supplying your son, Jesus, who lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, so that we get his future while he took our past. Man, thank you so much. God, I pray that people everywhere, that we would be pressing into you, that radical amputations would be happening this week that man, we would be doing whatever it takes to be transformed into the image of your son so that we could enjoy you and be used by you all of our days. Father, uh, I do pray that you would pour out the love of God into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you would preach that message inside of our chest so that we would actually experience it, not just know about it, but we would know it in our inner being. I pray that for, for all of our church and everybody that's listening in with us right now. And I pray it in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. slash